intentionality starts with you defining the best expression of you as a leader and then engaging in the consistent practice of delivering that. Hey there, this is Bev and I'll be the host of People at Work today. People at Work is a podcast that was created by Jostle. And at Jostle, we are building an employee intranet that is helping connect people to everything that matters to them during their workday. And while we're thinking about building a piece of technology, we're also out in the world having conversations with people like the one we're going to have today to really hear what's going on at work for people in everyday business. So I'm delighted today to welcome our guest, Jason Krauss. Jason is the Managing Director at Level 52 and author of Science Behind Success. Jason helps leaders solve their most frequent and painful problems with leader development and coaching. Jason began his leadership and high performance path as a Canadian national team bobsled pilot. So I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation today. There's a lot that I need to find out from Jason about stepping down from being a bobsled pilot into being a leadership coach, but we'll get into that in a minute. So when Jason and I were having our preliminary chat about what we should talk about today, he was very generous in providing a number of interesting and provocative topics for us to dig into. But what really piqued my interest was the practice of extreme intentionality. So that's going to be our topic for today. So welcome, Jason. It's amazing to have you with us. Thanks, Bev. It's great to be here. So I do really want to understand the link between bobsledding and leadership. So perhaps you could give us a a quick couple of minutes, so just to your background and um, where you find yourself today after what sounds like a really interesting uh, career change. Mm -hmm. Well, it was a career change that wasn't expected. I mean, I was, when I was competing, I was going into the 2006 Olympics, ranked top 10 in the world. And then all of a sudden my life started falling apart. My best friend, who was my roommate at the time, had been fighting cancer. Him and his wife lived with me. And I got a call while I was training in Montreal that uh, he took a turn for the worse. And she didn't think he was going to make it fortunate enough to get home, be by his side while he transitioned out of the world. And, you know, all of a sudden I was in my, I was in my best physical condition and going into the Olympic year, I, I just, I mentally just stopped caring about being the fastest in the world. I was grieving so heavily I couldn't perform. And so there I was, I couldn't meet my fitness standard My performance fell apart and come the time of the Olympics, I was watching my teammates go to the Olympics and I was at home and incredibly painful, both eight years invested in this dream falling apart. My best friend from my childhood, grade four, passing away that all of a sudden it was a huge pain, disruptive experience and The gift in all of it is that I was forced to ask the question, what value can I possibly offer this world if I don't have the Olympic rings tattooed on my shoulder? And it, it jolted me out of this, you know, the, the concept of destination-itis of the story I make up that when I get to the Olympics, then, then I'm going to be really important or how many people say, when I get to that title of CEO or SVP, then I'll finally start to have a handle on things. And, and it's all a trap, a seductive trap. 
And so I was, I was lucky enough now in hindsight to have to face that realization, which then opened up pathways to explore what else. And funny enough, I just, I stumbled into this coaching thing and happened to meet wonderful mentors along the way in the talent development world that really helped shape my career and see what's possible in terms of the value that I deliver into the world. Well, wow, what a story. I'm, I'm terribly sorry to hear about your friend and I'm sure that that time of your life must have been incredibly difficult. And, um, but as you say, uh, when you go through something so devastating, if you're lucky enough, you're able to find the positive aspects of it or the opportunities for personal growth that come through something so tragic. Um, and you certainly seem like you were able to, even though you, you, you perhaps were feeling quite vulnerable at that point, you were able to start to redefine who you were through that experience. And I can only imagine how hard that must be, not only because of the death of your friend, but because of, it must have been really strange that everything that defined who you were was suddenly not there anymore for you. You, you couldn't, that, that wasn't how you defined yourself any longer. Well, now you remove the structures, like being an athlete, having a clear vision, clear goals, weekly structure, like your, your life is planned. You have the support structure to do it. And then when all of this vanishes, it's truly a feeling of being lost. But when you say pain, Bev, it, this is one of the principles in what that we teach that's in the book, the science behind success is hypertrophy. We've all experienced this as no pain, no gain but it's a biological requirement for growth is that stress and pain helps your body respond, making it more capable to face the next level of resistance. And so while, yeah, it was incredibly hard, I can look back fondly and say, reframe the story that not making the Olympics was one of the best things that ever could have happened to me. But I'm sure at the time you must've been crushed by watching your fellow competitors on TV and um, feeling like you had really missed something that was important to you. Crushed, shame, like all of those feelings, guilt, like my, letting down my family, my sponsors, all of it, of course, it was, it was very challenging. Yeah. It reminds me of a, I, on Instagram this morning, I, I saw this picture that someone had taken of a, a heart that was attached to a fence at a schoolyard and it was all these um, sort of uplifting sayings that school children had written and this one said um, it's okay to be a glow stick um, you have to break first before you can see the light and I just thought that that actually was uh, was very um, relevant to this conversation right where you have to go through something difficult in order to potentially have the benefit of seeing things in a different way or being given the gift of, of a fresh look at, at the world and at, at your life, right? Um, but I know that we're getting very philosophical here, but <laughs> it's, it's relevant, right? Because the current scenario of us all living through this pandemic is also the, the same type of scenario. Like none of us are living 2020 or have lived 2020 in the way that we thought we would. We had dreams, we had plans all been upended. So can you see any similarities in how people are feeling through this pandemic than you might if you go through a, another type of life-changing event? Well, I think it all comes down to the uh, a saying that we share with people in our programs or clients is sometimes it takes a nightmare to wake you up. 
you get so in your cozy space, whether it's the pandemic and like many businesses, you've fallen off a cliff of revenue, forced to adapt, forced to innovate. And it, it's that place for leaders is how long do you allow yourself to be overwhelmed in distress, honor the feelings, the emotions, and then quickly move yourself and your team to a place of you stress of how can I perceive the, the benefits of this pain and this uncomfortable situation? The more quickly you can navigate away from distress to you stress is when you can start to get your resourcefulness back and be creative to develop the way out. The pandemic's been a wonderful collective experience for us to pause and examine how do we move towards the possibilities because it's the only productive place to stand in. Yeah, I would agree. It's really been a, a challenge and perhaps a testament to some of the strengths of leadership around the world where we've seen those leaders who've been able to step up into this challenge and actually embrace it rather than shy away from it. Does that have anything to do with this practice of extreme intentionality? Perhaps oh, let's, yeah. let's start with um, defining what that actually means for us. It. I'll start with a common story. When we go in to work with a senior leader in an organization, especially one that's been promoted up into a new senior role, it quite often the narrative is that if I ask this client, tell me how you lead, the response is generally um, one where they say, well, I don't know. I just kind of get in, find my way and do my best, which is admirable, of course, but it's what that is lacking is intentionality. If you aren't clear about the specific impact that you want to have, then you're easily swayed in times of turbulence and stress. And so ultimate extreme intentionality is getting clear about your style of leading. We There's no definition of leadership. And I think that's where people struggle is extreme intentionality starts with you defining the best expression of you as a leader and then engaging in the consistent practice of delivering that. I'll drill down and, and tell you what that means. The concept that we teach, whether you like it or not, you've got a brand. People make associations based on how they experience you, whether it's just at a meeting, the way you show up, ask questions, your energy, or if they see you more consistently throughout the day. And, and people experience you the same way they would a consumer brand. Why do you bank at a certain bank? Why do you fly with a carrier, buy shoes at a certain store? It's because you make associations. People feel things when they think about you. They think things when they're engaged in situations with you. They say things to others and then they take specific actions based on the way they experience you. And so when we say extreme intentionality, we take leaders through a 360 peer review where you understand your old brand. Here's what people thought of you. And there are some things you want to pull from it, but then let's get really intentional, connect it with your legacy and truly understand how you want to show up. And then that brand is the, is the center of the wheel when it comes to navigating the situations. How do you respond on brand intentionally? That now is your practice. So let me ask you a question then. How different is that from your purpose? 
Why we go with brand is because it can seem more grounded. It's based on how people experience you and the associations you want to create based on, in quote, I'm doing air quotes here, uh, customer experience. And so purpose for many clients can seem like so, so out of reach. Like this is a purpose that is a combination of words that I want to be. And I'll, I'll speak to that here in a second. Whereas your brand is, here's where people see me at my best. Here's data that shows me when I'm at my best. And maybe that's not exactly how I want to be showing up. So what parts can I pull? And then what parts can I build in where we break it down into three elements, authentic qualities. Like I, this is me. If I, if I can identify a word or a quality that's truly authentic, this is part of my brand. Aspirational. I'm not a finished product. And so what's something I want to become more of? If people describe me 10 years from now, they say, oh, Bev is this. And that's going to require some more practice. And then the third one is very important, especially in times where you're being pulled in different directions, is what am I unapologetic about? I, I will be willing to upset you because I take a stand for this. And then if nothing else, if you've got those three things, then now these are elements you can exercise and evaluate yourself. Whereas a purpose can be a little challenging at times to, to measure yourself. Am I living on purpose? This is our point of view. I appreciate that distinction. Thank you. So I am curious though. So if we talk about intentionality, we're implying choice and deliberate action uh, yeah. to some degree. So yeah. you've talked about being authentic, being aspirational, being unapologetic. What happens if some of the parts of your brand are less desirable things that you really shouldn't be intentional about? How do you change those aspects of yourself? in terms of how you show up as a leader? So if I understand the, the question, uh, do I want to change those things? Yes, so let's say arrogance is one of the things that people identify with you. Um, should you be working on intentionally changing that because it has negative repercussions and it impacts people negatively? Or should you only be working on the things that position you intentionally in a positive way or productive well, way? Yeah. So there are a couple of things here that, number one, if you use the brand concept as a mechanism for manipulation, then you're missing the point, right? Whereas when brand is tied to your legacy, at my retirement party, are people going to be celebrating the fact that they don't have to deal with me anymore? Or are they going to be celebrating the impact and the way that I've elevated them in their careers. If arrogance is something that shows up, then it's my job to define how that shows up and the situations that it shows up most commonly in and develop different ways to respond, engage with people. So you talked about legacy. Um, and earlier you had talked about arriving at a point in your own life where you asked yourself what value am i going to deliver to the world and so how is that bound up with intentionality so is it really related to personal motivators or are there aspects of an environment or um, 
a structure or system that you find yourself in that forces you to be intentional? Or do you think it is something that is strongly held by an individual first? When you commit to the practice of extreme intentionality, then you're in the process and it's a constant evolution of discovery and awareness. For example, our model, the entry point to anything is awareness. I have awareness based on maybe an interaction you and I have. I'm more aware of something, my impact. Now, the next step is to become intentional. Based on this information, how do I wanna show up with Bev next time? And then the next time we come together, I exercise that intention. And then that leads to reflection. And this is the continuous cycle that then it's, you're always testing a hypothesis. I use my awareness to become more intentional. I exercise it, reflect, and continue, ideally, the upwards trajectory of extreme intentionality. So if we step down into what this looks like in practice, um, how does someone show up in their average day-to-day in front of their team in a way that expresses this extreme intentionality? Like, what does it actually look like? Yeah. Before I get there, a point on the last, uh, what you just asked is when you aren't intentional, people can start to meander in a place of imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And our point of view on imposter syndrome is when you start to reach beyond what's authentic for you, right? We, we will always question our ability to take on challenges, right? But where imposter syndrome really starts to show up is when you aren't intentional about the way that you want to show up in your environment. And you start to put on clothes that aren't yours, metaphorically, and pretend to be something that truly isn't how you want to be. Now, when you go through a process of awareness and start to define, how is it that I want to show up? Upstream to my boss, laterally to my peers, and maybe downstream to my team. It, there may be slight nuances mm. as to how your brand shows up which it's that awareness in itself is important. Because oftentimes when people get feedback from a 360, they go, well, these people say I'm decisive. These people say I'm wishy-washy. Well, you're, you're going to show up differently depending on the audience if you're not in extremely intentional. So nuts and bolts, how do you apply this? Well, in our programs, we take you through a process where you get very clear about what your brand promise is. And once you have a clear and resonant brand promise, this is how I want to show up in this situation, then that is the the center point. An athletic principle that we use with our leaders, very simple, proven high-performance method is what's your warm-up? At the beginning of the day, how do you warm up and set your trajectory for your day? And in one of... One of the elements in the warm-up has to be a connection to your brand. What is my brand today? How do I see it being expressed in these situations? What might hook me off brand today? Get me into an undesired state. Because we've all got both our desired brand and undesired brand. I'm sure all of the listeners out there can know this is me at my best and this is me at my worst. For me, example, my worst, I'm a shut down, what I call the incredible sulk. And me at my best, I'm present, I'm passionate, and I'm pushing boundaries. And so what's going to hook me 
to the undesired expression. And so the more we can forecast that friction, the more we increase the likelihood that we stay on brand. So it starts with the warm up. You have your exercise all throughout the middle of the day. And then at the end of the day, simple cool down, just like an athlete will cool down after take a state of the union as to what worked, how their body feels. You do a cool down where you reflect and say, where, where did I show up truly on brand? What hooked me off? What am I going to do next time to keep me on brand? I, I mean, it's more complex than that, but this is in essence, how you practice extreme intentionality. Well, and I'm sure it gets easier as you become more familiar with, you know, what you're required to do in order to be aware of yourself and be aware of the impact that you have on others. Um, there is, what I'm hearing from you is there is a big component of self-awareness that is meshed into um, this notion of intentionality. I don't know. Am I off base on that? Oh, no, it's a huge level of awareness. It, and, and you have to, and that's the thing, you have to want to have an impact. You have to be willing to be in the experiment. It, it's the one of the foundational elements of the whole science behind success principle is that curiosity to want to learn more. So let me ask you then about something you, you talked about in terms of having different personas or you, you show up differently in front of different people, perhaps in sort of varying degrees. Um, depending on the, your relationship with that person or where you find yourself in an organization. So is part of the practice of intentionality to get us to be completely aligned in terms of showing up consistently regardless of where we are in an organization? Yeah, a, a little tweak, not to show up as different people to different audiences, but to calibrate your brand. Mm to the different audiences and you've got it bang on. The objective is consistency. You know, there, there have been studies that if, if people are given the choice to have a consistently bad leader or a leader who's sometimes good and sometimes bad, what are they going to pick? The consistently bad leader, because at least then they can develop strategies. And so this objective is to be as consistent as possible as an authentic expression of yourself. So do you think that organizations and societal systems have a role to play in creating spaces where people can be more intentional and be more authentically themselves? Like oh, well, it, absolutely. If you think about just from an investment standpoint, if I bring all of this talent together and force it in a cookie cutter approach, then I'm not getting the best expression of my talent. Intangible assets are what make organizations valuable. And the intangible assets in every organization are the people. You unlock the creativity, the passion, the expression of your talent that creates exponential value of your organization. And so if I'm a leader, it's my job to create the conditions for success for my individuals to get clear about how they want to show up, the impact they want to have on others. And so what does that mean for things like belonging and inclusion? It, as a leader, we know that when 
people have a space of belonging, where there's a space of inclusion, where there is safety, then that's when people are going to express themselves. Biologically, a cell is either in growth mode or protection mode, never both at the same time. And so the, the more we can get the people on our teams into growth mode, then they're going to express themselves and we're going to just develop uh, a more meaningful workplace that delivers meaningful results. When there isn't inclusion, then people naturally get into protection mode. I'm preserving my role. I'm preserving my paycheck. I'm preserving my ego. Why would I reach out? Why would I take risks that could potentially lead to a clever innovation in our industry if my peers, colleagues, you know, the safety isn't there? So a related question is, what would prevent me in my environment as a leader from practicing extreme intentionality? Well, I think number one, it comes down to whether it's being received in the environment or not. It, for you to be at your best, it serves you and the people to be extremely intentional, getting clear about the impact you want to have. Barriers to it, when I look at all of the leaders that have been through our programs and our coaching, I don't know if there have been barriers to being extremely intentional. There may be moments where your desired impact isn't the actual impact on people. But I think that's, that's the process. We hold science as the pursuit of greater understanding. It's not the truth. But when you can engage in the practice of extreme intentionality through your actions delivering different data that then informs what's next, like I, if there's any barrier, it can be getting sucked into the fixed mindset of, oh, that didn't work. I'm not going to try it anymore. Versus what do I try differently next time? Yeah, I, I think that it's hard to perhaps pinpoint those barriers to and, and assign it or ascribe it to holding back intentionality, right? Because I think that there are some environments where um, things like intentionality, like creativity, like innovation are blocked because of the quality and the texture of the leadership that exists within an organization. But I would probably argue that intentionality appears to start with each person. So um, the onus is really on each individual leader to, first of all, understand what intentionality actually means for them. And if they feel that they can't be fully intentional in that environment, then perhaps it's not the right place for them. That might be one way to look at it. It, it might be. When I think about some of the experiences, it, it's such a great question you ask. And when I think about some leaders, CEO of an organization is on, is going to a conference with other CEOs and they're on a private plane together. And on the flight back, one of the CEOs on this plane is very experienced, big reputation. And that CEO says, well, that, that was a waste of time after the conference and was just complaining about it. And so this CEO that was a client of mine didn't see it the same way. And instead of asking questions, he just sort of went with it because, you know, who's he to stand up and challenge this? 
And so some of the growth, when you look at extreme intentionality is to now in that reflection place, looking back, how do I wish I would have responded? What could I have done? Right? Because now, like I was just a, a passive recipient in this situation, but that's not how this person wanted to show up. And so when he looks at what is your brand, how would you have responded if you are grounded and intentional on your brand? He goes, well, I would have asked questions, become curious. Well, what was it that disappointed you? What would have made it a better experience? Right? Like extracting the learning rather than just accepting the truth from this person. Because So now to go back to what you say, what can be a big barrier is when we have someone in the space that is really influential and they drive things that are against what you feel authentic about. But that's part of the learning, Bev, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it does sound like it's an ongoing process, right? It's part of being alive. It's part of growing and, and adapting and improving ourselves is really, um, you know, one of the key messages I've taken away from our conversation here today is, um, and, and being intentional doesn't just stay within the boundaries of your workplace. Um, I would imagine you practice intentionality in all parts of your life if you're being truly aligned and authentic to who you are. Um, so maybe I'll ask us uh, to close with um, what would be your most important tip to someone if you had to, if you were pressed to give one tip around how to be intentional today, what do you think people should be thinking about today? That's a great question. To be intentional today is at the end of today, if I went and asked the people that you engaged with how to describe you, what do you want them to say? That is a simple starting point to guide then whatever they say, reverse engineer around the behaviors and the actions that you step into your meetings with. If nothing else, start there. Yeah, that's a really good piece of advice. And it it gives you a very clear outcome. You may have some heavy lifting and some work to do to define the path to get there, but at least you know what you're aiming towards and what you need to work on. Um, Well, Jason, thanks very much. This has been a really interesting conversation. I've learned a lot from you and um, just inspired by your story and feeling like I um, have renewed energy to think about my own intentional practice and what impact I want to have on the world. And I hope that our listeners will take away the the same inspiration from you. So thanks for being on People at Work and um, be well and safe where you are. Thank you, Bev. It was great to be here. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of People at Work. It would mean a lot to us if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. The more reviews we get, the more people discover the podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe to ensure that you don't miss an episode. You can do this wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can reach me at bev at jostle.me or find me on LinkedIn. Until next time, take care.